Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. No more Tokyo roses trying to destroy our democracy. If Congress wants democracy to survive, it must roll back Citizens United and regulate big tech, forbidding them from allowing foreign governments to pretend to be Americans on social media. I'll get to that in a minute. I want to get into a, a deep dive into how the GOP now stands for trolls, vigilantes, and death. And Senator Bernie Sanders will be dropping by. And we got a crazy alert. QAnon Dallas squatters who've walked away from their lives like uh, medieval crusaders. Seriously. So let's, let's uh, jump right into it. Okay, no more Tokyo Roses trying to destroy our democracy. The former assistant director of the FBI, Frank Figluzzi, just posted on Twitter, this was uh, day before yesterday, divide and conquer, he writes, a sample of 32,315 pro-Rittenhouse hashtag tweets, November 19th and 20th, showed 29,600 of them had geolocation disabled. Of those, 17,000 were listed as foreign, but a deep scrub revealed that most, most were in Russia, China, and the European Union. Really? People pretending to be Americans celebrating Kyle Rittenhouse? Snopes looked into this and found that it was even more extensive than what Frank Figlusi was uh, documenting. Massive evidence of foreign-based social media accounts pretending to be Americans while cheerleading Rittenhouse. This is how democracies get destroyed from the outside, by planting seeds of hate and division that appear to come from inside and then alter the sentiments of the entire country. You know, democracy is a remarkable, remarkably resilient form of government, right? We, we've had arguably a democracy for 240 years. I realize it's been very imperfect in many ways, but here we are. And yet, if people don't believe that that democracy is actually a democracy any longer, it will collapse. And we have seen this in country after country after country. Democracies fail when people cease to trust and support them. It's just that simple. And usually, typically that starts with people perceiving corruption in their democracy. Um, great example is, by the way, Turkey. Another great example, uh, Egypt. If you are uh, familiar with, uh, I, I won't go into the whole long backstory, but if you're familiar with either of those, those governments, they're both examples of countries that were functioning democracies, became corrupt oligarchies. That corruption then so highlighted the, the disintegration of the democracy that, that at some point the leaders, uh, al-Sisi in Egypt and, and Erdogan in Turkey, simply stopped pretending that it, they were democracies anymore. Call out the police, haul people away, put them in jail, shut down the, dissent, the dissenting media, all of that. So if those cracks in the system, if that corruption, if those bad actors are not reprimanded or removed, and if the democracy isn't cleaned up, then democracies go to the second stage of the process of disintegration, which is an explosion of populism. Now, populism is where either people are pouring into the streets demanding leadership, or leadership is emerging, pulling people together, saying, you can't trust the government, they're lying to you. 
and we need to take it over to clean it up. Populism is the normal and healthy response to a corrupted democracy. It's an attempt to re-regulate, to straighten a democracy back up. Populism is what Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump brought us in 2016. And Donald Trump became president. And he became president on a very, very populist uh, platform. He said he was going to end corruption in D.C. Remember his drain the swamp chants? He said he was going to stop corporations from sending jobs overseas. He said everybody in America was going to have better than Obamacare health care at a very cheap price. These are all populist positions. He said he was going to raise taxes on the rich, on the morbidly rich. And he was going to more tightly regulate our southern border. All of these populist positions. Of course, he lied and he did none of the above. Instead, he brought us the most corrupt administration in history. Five of his cabinet members, for example, were referred to the Department of Justice by their own agency's inspector general for corruption, for crimes, for felonies. But, of course, Bill Barr was just as corrupt as they were, and he didn't do anything about it. But the big point here is that Donald Trump didn't create this situation. This was created by the United States Supreme Court, or at least by five conservatives on the U.S. Supreme Court, largely with the, US, with the Citizens United decision that basically legalized political corruption. And, you know, John Paul Stevens called this out. He said, no. He said, in fact, he said, he, he essentially predicted foreign trolls taking over our democracy. He said, if taken seriously, our colleague's assumption that the identity of a speaker has no relevance to the government's ability to regulate political speech would lead to, lead to some remarkable conclusions. Such an, an assumption would have accorded the propaganda broadcast to our troops by Tokyo Rose during World War II the same protection as speech by Allied commanders. Tokyo Rose, of course, was that famous woman who was broadcasting to American troops in the Pacific Theater during World War II, telling them, you know, the war is lost and just go home and everything, you know, we got this under control here in Japan. And this is what's going on now. We've got Tokyo Rose all over our, all over our traffic, all over our internet traffic, all over our social media. And here's what's so bizarre about it. You know, as Figluzzi is pointing out, you know, there are foreign governments and foreign oligarchs who would love to see democracy fail in the United States. They'd love to see America go totally corrupt so they can say, you know, like Erdogan, hey, America doesn't work either. Don't worry. Just, you know, go along with me. And it turns out it's not just Russia, like, you know, the Mueller report pointed out back in 2016. I mean, they were, they were helping Donald Trump 16 ways to Sunday, but it's not just Russia. There's a bunch of companies involved in this. Now, Netflix, you know, we have a sponsor, ExpressVPN, and one of the ads that, that I was reading when, you know, this was a couple of months ago, um, was for ExpressVPN, was how, you know, you can use a VPN service to pretend you're in another country, and then you log on to Netflix, and hey, you can get German language, you know, TV and movies off Netflix if you simply use a VPN and pretend you're in Germany. In other words, Netflix knows where you are, or at least believes that they know where you are, which country you're in. The same is obviously true of Twitter and Facebook. Why don't they stop these foreign trolls? Because it's profitable. It's, it's creating churn. It's creating engagement. It's delivering ads to people, which is with their revenue model. So if Congress wants American democracy to survive, there's a very simple two-step process here. I, you know, I say very simple because, you know, in, in concept, it's very simple. In actual putting it into practice, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean taking on the corrupt elements of the corruption. But number one, reverse Citizens United. And Congress can do that. And number two, pass legislation regulating big tech saying that foreign trolls at the very least have to be labeled as such. And, you know, if they're pretending to be Americans, just block them, stop them, prevent them. This is not rocket science. No more Tokyo roses. Right? It's time to put an end to this stuff. We are being, our country, we, our society is being torn apart by social media trolls pretending to be Americans. 
and it needs to stop. By the way, the uh, verdict was just handed down in the trial on the death of Ahmed Aubrey, and all three defendants were just convicted of murder in Georgia. So, uh, good news, though. I, I've been you know, hoping that we would get something to balance, you know, what's been, what's going, been going on with the Rittenhouse trial. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Thank you. Thank you for all your incredible shows. I did some checking up on the Internet after that judge ruled out the gun law for the Rittenhouse trial. Right. And he broke many, many laws. And I wonder... He you being have, Rittenhouse uh, or the judge? Well, I, I think both of them. <laughs> Here's the thing. Hunting in Wisconsin, I read up on it. You have to have a special permit from, if you're out of state, you need a special hunting license. But in Wisconsin, it is illegal to hunt game or discharge a hunting firearm within 500 yards of a public area, like a road. That's one of them. It is unlawful to hunt. The deer season did not open till November. Mm -hmm. So are you telling me he was out there with a gun to shoot birds? Um, big game is in um I think that's essentially what the judge said, didn't he? I mean, that, that you know, we're going to drop this gun charge because he basically had what we now recognize to be a hunting rifle. Yes, but um, for a little bird, are you kidding me? Right. That, that would explode the whole bird. Yeah, um, I know. Everything, I would love for your... Um, attorneys that listen um they're so intelligent there's so many laws you cannot hunt in the evening you can only hunt in daylight hours there are just so many rules he broke so and you had to know that judge probably knew all that you would think how, you would how think could but he not? I, you know frankly uh, as much as i um uh, was disgusted by how judge Sh schroeder um, basically rigged the, the outcome in advance by defining who could say what about whom. I also think that the prosecution just dropped the ball hugely by not, you know, pointing out things like what you're pointing out, Jessica. There are so many laws. He broke four laws with that gun. Right, just, just holding the gun, just walking down the street with the gun. And right. yet the cops are handing him bottles of water and having, you know, slapping him on the back. Yeah, um, I just pray that, um, especially the man with the blown-off arm, I pray that um, they all get a civil trial. He's gotten $2 million just for bond so he could be free the whole time. Right. And um, he's had his lawyers pay for over a half million. Everything has come so easily to he's him. He's a wealthy man now. Yeah. So no, I'm serious. He's a, mil he's a millionaire now, Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> civil trials and I really hope that those um, families win. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing, particularly given that the, the standard of, of proof for a conviction is much lower in a civil trial than it is in a criminal trial, but I think the criminal trial was just absolutely badly handled both by the judge and by the prosecution. I, it was just, uh, you know, a, a tragedy, you know. I, I agree with the family of uh, Anthony Huber. We said that, you know, what this does is it sends the message that it's okay to take a gun into a protest, provoke other people with that gun, and then kill them and claim self-defense, which is, in my opinion, what happened here. Jessica, thank you for the call. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. 
Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to get into this issue of gun control over at HartmanReport.com. It's titled, Why is the GOP making America's job of creating a less deadly society more difficult? And although I didn't point it out in the article, and perhaps I should edit it in now, <laughs> now that it occurs to me, you know, six or seven years ago, I would have answered that question by saying that Republicans are unwilling to pass gun control legislation because they're taking so much money from the NRA, from the gun lobby, you know, on, on behalf of the gun manufacturers. The gun manufacturers pour millions into the NRA. The NRA pours millions into the pockets of Republican legislators, and the Republican legislators oppose gun control. But the NRA is, a, you know, just racked by scandal and, and fraud, and, and they're a shell of them, their former selves, and trying to declare bankruptcy and all this kind of stuff. They're not doing a great job of supporting Republican politicians. So absent the cash, why are Republican politicians today supporting this? I'd say because they're down with this idea of America having another civil war. As I point out in the article, expect this whole gun control debate to go on steroids this next 12 months because Beto O'Rourke is running for governor of Texas. And last year, or year before last, when he was in the Democratic presidential primaries, he said, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. And you can, see, you can bet that that's going to be on loop in the Republican ads. But look at this situation. This Swiss-based research group found that there are approximately 857 million civilian-held firearms in the world's 230 countries and territories. Of that, 857 million weapons in the hands of civilians in the entire world, all 230 countries, 393 million of them are in civilian possession in the United States. And by the way, that was as of 2017. Now it's over 400 million. So we got 400 million out of, the, out of the 857 million firearms in the world, 400 million of them are here. We are 5% of the world's population, and we're over 40% of the world's guns in, in civilian hands. There's something, you know, fundamentally wrong with that, right? In America, for every 100 people, there are 120 guns. The next highest developed country on the list is Canada. They have 34 guns for every 100 people. And then it goes all down from there, all the way down to South Korea, Taiwan, and Japan that have fewer than one gun per every 100 people. And not only do we lead the, gun, the world in gun ownership, but this is from the American Journal of Medicine. U.S. homicide rates are seven times higher than other high-income countries, driven by a gun homicide rate that's 25 times higher. For 15 to 24-year-olds, the gun homicide rate in the United States is 49 times higher, 4,900% higher. Firearm-related suicide rates are eight times higher in the United States. Unintentional firearm deaths, 6.2 times higher in the United States. Overall firearm death rate in the United States from all causes, 10 times higher than the other 23 developed countries. 90% of all women killed by firearms in these 23 countries are in the United States, as well as 91% of all children killed by firearms. Bill in uh, Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? Pretty good, Tom. Thank you. Um, Happy Thanksgiving, Bill. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, Tom. And I'm thankful for you because you're so smart and you're also so humble. You won't admit that you can read a barcode or a QR code. <laughs> I can't read a QR code. 
<laughs> so yes, you can won't admit it. I get it. Okay, so what's on your mind, Bill? You had mentioned Tokyo Rose earlier, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if you know of her real story and or anything about her. Yeah, I was uh, I was poking around the internet this morning to get a hot link, you know, for my reference to Tokyo Rose in the op-ed at Hartman Report, and I found one about you know there's a Wikipedia page on her, of course. But there's also a bunch of sites suggesting that, you know, she wasn't really that person and there was another person and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. She was a victim of the Rush Limbaugh of her time, Walter Winchell. And she was born on the 4th of July in California, went to UCLA and graduated. For a graduation gift, her family gave her a trip to Japan to visit her ailing aunt. While she was there, war broke out. Her family was put in detention camps in America, and the Japanese pressured, tried to pressure her into renouncing her American citizenship, and she refused. And she couldn't get work, so she moved to Tokyo, where she got a job working for Radio Tokyo, just as a typist. And there was a, a gentleman, a, a major cousins from the Australian Army, because there was right in the center of Tokyo, there was an allied POW camp, and she used to give supplies through the fence to them at night. And this guy, uh, Cousins, was a well-known broadcaster who had been captured. So he wrote material, and she used it, but none of it was ever propaganda. On the, on the other hand, they used things the Japanese couldn't understand about American language with nuance and sarcasm and things, and mm. they would just say things like, here's your propaganda now, here's the stupid stuff we have to tell you. And <laughs> but, and her name wasn't even uh, Tokyo Rose, it was right. Orphan Ann. And there were dozens of women broadcasters who did do those evil things, but she didn't. And after the war, she was arrested by American intelligence, and she was held for a year in jail before they realized she didn't do anything wrong, and she was released, wow. and she was broke. And but, anyway, she went to America, and she was put in jail for six years. Her citizenship was taken away, and she was finally exonerated. And I used to see her in Chicago every day. Amazing. Uh, so. Amazing. Bill, I got to run, but what, a, what an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Kevin in San Pedro, California. Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind today? Hey, the whole thing with the gun thing is mm -hmm. that it's a wedge issue. Yeah. Well, I make That's, this I make uh, this point in my op-ed that that uh, Republicans are actually more motivated to get out to vote when they hear that there might be gun control coming than are Democrats, and that's not necessarily a good thing for Beto O'Rourke in Texas. It, it isn't, and and look, um, a coworker left a gun magazine in the bathroom at work, and I opened it up, and out falls a little insert that says that uh, at the time it was Hillary Clinton, uh, and the Democrats are one election away from taking all your guns away. So get out and vote. Holy cow. So that's what divides this country, is that abortion and a few other things. And these are the same guys that when you talk about what's going on with voting rights, the suppression, they go, oh, you mean the voter integrity bill? Right. Yeah. How, how do you reach these people, Tom? Kevin, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm comforted, I suppose, by the fact that they are the minority of Americans. But that said, minorities of Americans tend to elect people in our country on a regular basis. And uh, I... Well, they have help with the gerrymandering. Well, and they have help with 1,500 right-wing radio stations all across the country and a couple of hundred Spanish-language now brand-new right-wing stations that are, that are move, moving the Hispanic vote, particularly around the issue of abortion, most Hispanics being Catholics. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's... Another the, wedge issue. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, you, you, you kind of pray for America to wake up for some kind of rationality, but... Um, I don't know. It's a tough one. Kevin, I don't have an easy answer to this, uh, you know, other than hoping that the media would take this seriously, this among other issues, but gun control in particular, would take it seriously and treat it like, like it is rather than just 
amplify uh, Republican rhetoric. It's, it's going to be a tough no, and, one. And then look, is a lot of the media on the right is not, it's not news. They have no journalistic standards. It is simply opinion yeah. that is coached as actual factor news. Yeah, and, and well, and, and there's, you know, arguably nothing wrong with that. That's what I do for a living. Um, is offer my take on the news and share, you know, I share the news with you, but I, I don't make any pretense to this being a news program. But uh, how many liberals That's are the on the air and how many radio stations in America? I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's extraordinarily disproportionate. Kevin, I got to move along, but thank yeah. you for the call. Marlene in Yonkers, New York. Hey, Marlene, what's up? Hi. Um, I just wonder, um, it's more of an update on Social Security. I remember when uh, President Biden campaigned. He said that he was going to include benefit increases, and I don't hear any talk now about Social Security being increased or they were. Oh, even it's going to be a five percent increase next year. Well, that's five point. I believe it's five point nine. That's not really yeah. a lot when you come to think about it. Well, it's, I, I think it's one of the biggest increases in like years. Two hundred dollar increase and. Yeah, no, I, you know, that's that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a five point whatever it is. But I, I remember six. You remember five point nine. But, you know, between 5 and 6% increase that reflects yeah. what inflation is happening this year. Beyond that, no, I don't, I don't know of anything, Marlene. I'm sorry. Catherine in Las Vegas. Hey, Catherine, what's up? Hi, thank you. So, you know, the statistic you gave right into the break about, I think it was like 98% of women that are victims of gun violence are here in the United 91%. States. 91%. And this is of the, of the 24 most wealthy developed countries in the world. Yes. Right. So I want to kind of take that and link it to the Ahmad Arbery and the Kyle Rittenhouse. So, first of all, women know the fear of men in a vehicle yelling things at you, following you, etc., in a parking lot, in a mall, whatever. It has happened to every female at some point in their life, and they know that fear. And people will say that, oh, but, you know, they're just playing around. They're just catcalls. But the violence against women is not taken seriously either by the media or in the criminal justice system. Maybe one in ten accused ever see the inside of a courtroom. And the one consistent link between these people who are doing these racially motivated killings, mass shooters, etc., is violence against and hatred towards women. And so when we say, why do they feel empowered and emboldened? Because they are abusive towards women on a daily basis and face zero consequences. So to take that a step further and assume that there's going to be some sort of impunity when we know that one in four women are victims of sexual assault, one in 10 are victims of domestic violence, and it's something like 80 to 90 percent of these people that are committing these racially motivated and mass shootings and, you know, mass killings are people who have been abusive towards or hold abusive views towards women. If we don't address one, we're never going to solve the other. Yeah, it's, it, it's almost like people... Well, not people. It's it's ninety five percent white men, um, uh, you know, who end up being mass shooters and things like that. Um, are they will prey on whoever they perceive as being weaker than them? This this seems like a an aspect of bully dumb. And although you know, to to call it bullying is to minimize it, and I don't want to do that. But but that. You know, they can attack women with impunity. And they had, as president of the United States for four years, a guy who is charged with more than 20 criminal sexual assaults on women. So, you know, they feel like they can do that with impunity and they by and large can and do in America. And so, you know, and, and they and they go after minorities with impunity. And police have done this for, for centuries in this country, continue to. And uh, so you, I think tying it all together, Catherine, makes perfect sense. I think it absolutely does. Right, because it's 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 the fact that, you know, um, we talk about white privilege, but we don't talk about male privilege a lot in this country, and the yeah. two go hand in hand. Oh, yeah. Because, it, you know, even look at just the Republican Party in general. The fact that there are no consequences is why it continues to escalate. And... Again, you know, there's how many articles have to be written about the ties between these people that shoot 
you know, that that shoot unarmed black men or that have mass killings and mass shootings or, you know, that the ties between that and a history in their background of domestic violence. It is yeah. it it is it goes hand it's in hand. And like I said, we if we don't address one, we're not going to deal with the other. Um, and, you know, women and minorities both. My God, if we would get together, we could rule this country. <laughs> yeah. Well said, Catherine. Well said. And, and, you know, this is what's so tragic, frankly, about the Republican Party consistently taking more than 50 percent of the white female vote in the United States. I mean, it's just it's just mind boggling. Catherine, I got to move along, but thank you for the call and thanks for making some really great points. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, you're on the air. What's up? Hey, Tom. Happy Tofurky to you. Thank you. Uh, and great news on Arbery. I was worried that uh, a pattern was going to emerge on us after last week. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to get your opinion and maybe issue a little bit of a warning to everybody out there. I uh, got introduced to a new tactic by my local police a few weeks ago. Came banging on my door claiming that there was a pinging cell phone inside my house. And it was belonging to a minor, a young girl. And, of course, you know, I knew that to not be true, but I had to balance my Fourth Amendment against, you know, these guys coming in hard with a lot of cops and dogs and destroying my place. So I'm wondering if you've ever seen that as, uh, no, you, know, you know. But it's not uncommon for police to try to use excuses, particularly since yeah, well, the Supreme Court ruled, I don't know, a decade or so ago that the police don't have to tell you the truth anymore. Well, that's that's when you've been Mirandized and you're a suspect. Yeah, they can tell you your buddy's down the hall giving it up. But coming at a homeowner to totally circumnavigate the Fourth Amendment, I mean, I you know, I, I had to decide, do do I want an army here in 10 minutes or should I just try and deal with these, these two guys that are here now? But it was so dirty, and if that's... If that's available to them as a tool, then none of us are safe. Certainly us like weirdo libs in provincial little right-wing towns like I am. Well, Eric, I would strongly suggest that if you think that your civil civil rights were violated here, that you reach out to the ACLU or to a local attorney. I mean, this is that's not a good thing if it happened exactly the way you're describing it. It's, and it should not be happening. We'll be right back. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. I did want to flag uh, one other thing. Yesterday, I didn't get into my rant yesterday that I published over at HartmanReport.com, but the op-ed that I wrote yesterday is titled, The GOP Now Stands for Trolls, Vigilantes, and Death. And I think one of the most important points that I made in, in this article, and I, I really want to focus on it or, or highlight it, as it were, is that vigilantism typically comes about from one of two reasons. The whole vigilante movement started in the United States, or before it was the United States. It started back in the 1700s, 16 and 1700s, when as white communities would occupy greater and greater areas of formerly Native American lands, they didn't have yet, they hadn't yet created governments. So they didn't yet have police departments, so they would create what they called committees of vigilance which were, you know, basically folks getting together, sort of neighborhood watch kind of things, you know, folks getting together and, 
and uh, patrolling their own communities, their own little towns and, and, and areas where they lived. That pretty much went away after the Civil War. After the Civil War, the, the old slave patrols in the South got folded into the state militias, what we now call the National Guard, and also the slave patrols also got folded into the police departments of the southern states, which explains a lot. But these days, it's almost, vigilantism is not an actual attempt to protect, typically, is not actually a, an attempt to protect a community from perceived danger. Because now we have professional police forces. Instead, today, vigilantism, what you saw with Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, taking a gun to a protest, is typically a conservative response to cultural change. Conservatives, by definition, don't like society changing. And our society is, is getting less white and more, more accepting of gender identity minorities, more accepting of racial minorities, more accepting of religious minorities. And this is something that white supremacists just can't tolerate or won't tolerate. And therefore, we're having a rise of a different kind of vigilantism from the old committees of vigilance. This kind of vigilantism is more, is more similar to, and in fact, I'd say in many ways identical to, the Ku Klux Klan. They just go by different names today, and they wear different kinds of uniforms, and they're not afraid to show their faces. But that's what we're dealing with here, is the 2021 version of the Klan. That article's over at HartmanReport.com, by the way. It's titled, The GOP Now Stands for Trolls, Vigilantes, and Death. I think you'll find it fascinating. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Program. I did want to share with you our crazy alert for the day. This is absolutely nuts. Uh, the QAnon people are back in Dallas at Dealey Plaza, you know, the place where John Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, they've been there for weeks now waiting for John and his son, uh, John John, you know, John Jr., to appear from the dead, resurrected from the dead. It's remarkable. And they, they, they got together again this week. There's, there, are, there are people who are mourning within their families the loss of family members to this cult. You know, broadly, to the QAnon cult all across the United States, broadly, but in this case specifically, people who have left their families, uh, the, the phrase that's used in this one story over at Raw Story is that, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, there are parallels between QAnon's Texas pilgrims and the People's Crusade, where lay people took up arms en masse to defend the Holy Land in the Middle Ages. I would say it's probably more like, um, uh, you know, tilting at windmills, shall we say. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I shouldn't laugh. This is a real tragedy, and it's happening to our, our neighbors and, and friends. And, and ultimately, it's a, it's a, this is also a real threat to our democracy. Anyhow, let's pick up your phone calls here. Mike in Memphis. Hey, hey Mike, what's on your mind today? Oh, several things. I, I just uh, I hope you're brave and don't be tempted to hit the uh, disconnect button. But there's a couple of things I'd like to get off my chest, I guess, if I could. I'm listening. I was wondering if the president will come out and, and console people who are not necessarily convinced of uh, this latest jury decision. And also, if, you know, wait a minute. people what do you, what will do you, be apologized to. Wait a minute. Console people? Okay. Because three guys who killed a black man were just convicted? Well, no. You remember when he came out and called the kid uh, in Wisconsin nefariously a name that, with no evidence of that and came out and said, I know lots of you are disappointed, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, I've never seen a president do that. And, well, um, then you haven't you haven't watched. Very, I mean, Richard Nixon famously weighed in on, on one of the verdicts. Was that Charles Manson? As I, as I recall, it was one of them, and you know, long before the trial even happened, uh, you know, the presidents have weighed in on yeah. this kind of stuff forever, Mike. What's your point? Well, the point, I guess, what I'm trying to get to is, I, number one, I think these jurors probably are owed an apology for being called, you know, not being able to, to render a, a correct decision. Yeah. Uh, they were basically, you know, but now let me finish. I know you want to do it. 
But I, now that these trials are over, I wonder, and I want, really called in about the hypocrisy of how cases are chosen. I wonder now that these two cases are over if their focus will be on a man obviously filled with hate against certain people and attack them in a parade will be get as much attention as one person. Six people were killed. Yeah, right. So, so in other words, what you want to what you child. want me to do on this show, Mike, is is shift the focus, like right wing radio has done, to oh my God, no, did you see that a I black man killed a bunch of people? You know, with a car? Or, yeah. Them. No, Mike, I'm I'm just not going to do it. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Uh, you, you know, you can get all outraged. You know, yeah, a black man did kill a bunch of people with a car. It's a terrible thing. He's he's a he's a a career criminal. And, you know, the color of his skin is, like I think, relatively inconsequential. It wasn't that he was killing people because of the color of their skin. He was trying to flee a crime. So trying to racialize that, Mike, as, as I know, you know, my colleagues on right-wing radio are doing right now, is, in my opinion, pathetic. Kyle Rittenhouse, on the other hand, was at a protest for racial justice. And he killed two people and tried to kill a third. And that, frankly, was about race. And, and I think you have to acknowledge that. Dan in Altoona. Hey, Dan, what's up? Hey, Tom. I'm, so that last caller really uh, ticked me off. I want to make a quick comment real quick with that. Uh, that guy was a career, career criminal. He was fleeing a stabbing. Uh, he's been known to run people over with his car before, including his uh, baby mama. And he should have been in jail for a long time. So that's one. Two, Kyle Rittenhouse went to that protest knowing that there would be Black Lives Matter people there with a gun. And he was on the militia side. So that proves that point there, well, plus too. Plus, there's multiple photographs of him flashing white power signs with, you know, with, uh, with militia members. Yep, and there was a phone call that he made to one of his friends saying that he wished he had a gun to kill people. Like, that's just, it was inadmissible yeah. in court, but it's out there. Yeah. So that was a bullcrap thing right there that just said. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. Uh, just stay positive, everybody, and, you know, yeah, we got a good verdict, which is another thing that I wanted to question what, what that guy wanted you to say about that. So, I mean, the guys, you know, the guys that were found guilty, they went after a black guy jogging. Yeah. And pretty much lynched him. So, yeah, I mean, his, his, like, his points were the core white right wing grievance stuff that's being peddled on right wing radio right now, which is. Um, you know, uh, Rittenhouse was was, you know, a hero and Joe Biden slandered him on the one hand or, or was not guilty anyway. And Joe Biden slandered him. And, and how dare he? And and, uh, you know, and, and a black guy killed some people. Um, you know, why isn't everybody talking about this like it's a racial crime? Well, because it's not. And <laughs> yeah, there you go. Dan, I got Go ahead. We can I make one last point with that, uh, with the Biden thing. So this, the right wing hate sphere right now is going after Biden for apparently calling Kyle a white supremacist. Right. But that's not true. He never called him a white supremacist. There was an ad that was run that Joe Biden had t- tweeted that was a big long video of Donald Trump not telling the Proud Boys to stand down. You know, and his picture, Kyle's picture, was thrown on the screen whenever they mentioned Kenosha. So there was never a time where he said that Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. His picture was just in a video that was talking about white supremacy. Okay. All right. I, yeah, I had, you know, it's, it seems, frankly, irrelevant to me anyway, Dan, you know, given the, the horrors of, of some of the things that are going on in this country. Dan, thanks for the call. Steve in Zimmerman, Minnesota. Hey, Steve, what's up? Hey, Tom, I just wanted to say, you know, I'm from Minnesota, and um, I just want to say I'm thankful for three things. The state of Georgia, the normal judge they had in the Arbery case, and for them giving us Anthony Edwards on the Timberwolves. Okay. All right. It's noted, Steve, and uh, I hope you, you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and y'all keep safe. Okay? Thank you, too. Okay, thanks. Uh, we're, we're doing our best. It's... And please, everybody, you know, if you go back and look at the statistics from last year, because of Thanksgiving and Christmas, we had this absolute explosion of people dying from COVID in the United States through the end of December and into January. We don't want to do that again. Be careful.
On the line with us, our old friend, Senator Bernie Sanders, chair of the Senate Budget Committee, two-time candidate for president of the United States, uh, website sanders.senate.gov. You can tweet him at Sen Sanders, S-E-N as in Senator, S-E-N Sanders, or at Bernie Sanders. Uh, Senator Sanders, welcome back. So where are we at on the Build Back Better bill? And, and also, I want to get into the defense spending bill. Good. Well, a lot is happening. As you know, recently, the House passed what the Senate passed several months ago, and that is the infrastructure bill. And Tom, as I'm sure you are more than aware, for decades now, you've had Republican presidents and Democratic presidents talking about our crumbling infrastructure and the need to rebuild our roads, bridges, water systems, wastewater plants, broadband more recently. And that bill does that. So this is $550 billion of new money uh, to create a whole lot of good-paying jobs doing what should have been done decades ago. Uh, you know, it's not just roads and bridges. It's uh, water systems all over this country are in really deep trouble. You've got millions of people, when they turn on the water faucet, uh, can't drink the water that comes out of the tap. So this is a major step forward in terms of good jobs uh, in bringing our country up to the 21st uh, century. So it's uh, good now. And then on top of that, obviously, the House just last week passed the uh, Build Back Better plan. And this doesn't deal primarily with physical infrastructure. It deals with the needs of our people and with climate. And now it comes to the Senate. And you're hopeful that it's going to pass? Well, it is going to be a very significant debate because we are in a situation where our Republican colleagues who just a few years ago wanted to repeal the Affordable Care Act and throw 30 million or so people off the health care they had, who were able to pass Trump's tax bill, which gave massive tax breaks to the wealthy and large corporations, ran up the deficit, uh, by some two trillion, the national debt by some $2 trillion. Uh, we do not have one Republican vote to address the crises facing working families, not one. So it comes down to the 50 members of the Democratic uh, caucus, plus the vice president. And it is no great secret that we have some pretty conservative members who want to weaken the legislation. And we have some progressive members who want to strengthen the bill that came from the House. My own view is that what the House passed was very strong, it was important, but we can make it better. Uh, it did not go as far as it should in taking on the pharmaceutical industry and lowering the outrageously high costs of prescription drugs in this country. Uh, it did not go far enough in demanding that at a time of massive uh, income and wealth inequality that we have the wealthy stop paying their fair share of taxes in corporate America as well. Uh, I believe that in this day and age, in the richest country on earth, we should expand Medicare not only to cover hearing aids, which was in the hospital, but to cover dental care uh, and vision as well. Uh, plus, a number of other provisions I think need to be strengthened. So there will be a very significant debate taking place in the Senate over these issues. You're listening to Tom Hartman. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Senator, after the uh, Republican Great Depression back in the, in the late 1920s, early 1930s, Franklin Roosevelt came into office and, and spent an enormous chunk of our GDP, or you know, a percentage of our GDP, on infrastructure. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember the numbers right now. It's, it's been a few months since I was uh, uh, reading about this and, 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 and actually writing about it. 
Um, and then, you know, Eisenhower with the interstate highway system and all that sort of thing. So, so leading in the, in, at least in the three decades leading up to the 1980s, up to Re the Reagan administration, we were averaging over 1% uh, of GDP a year being spent by the federal government on maintaining our country's infrastructure. Reagan came in and introduced neoliberalism, what some people refer to as austerity or Reaganism. And that dropped within a, a couple of years in the early 1980s down to around two-tenths of a percent, you know, from over from 1.2 to 1.3 percent before that. And we've been basically spending at the federal level about, you know, two-tenths of a percent on infrastructure for 40 years, which is why it's crumbling, obviously. But this was the primary tenet of neoliberalism, which was sweeping the world. Now you've got President Biden, you've got the United States Senate, you've got the, the House in the, in the hands of the Democrats saying, we're not going to go down that road anymore. Is this the beginning of the end of America's 40-year experiment with uh, how, what, how, whatever you want to call this, I'm calling it neoliberalism, with this uh, bizarre ideology that the only role of government is to run the army? Well, I hope that that is right. But I think it would take probably more time than we have to give you a thorough answer on that. Um, because, you know, it, it really will depend upon um, what happens in uh, the 2022 elections and obviously what happens in 2024. But what I can tell you is poll after poll makes it very clear. The American people are disgusted with the unbelievably uh, obscene levels of income and wealth inequality that exists where the top 1% now owns more wealth than the bottom uh, 92%, uh, where during the pandemic the billionaires made out extraordinarily well while thousands of workers died doing their essential you know, jobs, trying to keep the economy going. Uh, so I think people are seeing all of that income and wealth inequality, and they're asking why it is that the very, very rich get much richer while so many people are struggling. Why it is that we have the highest rate of childhood poverty of, over, of almost any major country on earth, while we have almost 600,000 people sleeping out on the street, why we are the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all as a human right, not to have paid family and medical leave. Why do we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs? Why are we not leading the world in combating climate change? So I think a lot of people are asking those questions. Uh, and our Republican, my Republican colleagues don't have an answer to those issues because they don't even ask those questions. Mm. They're living in a very different world, which is trying to divide people up, often based on race or sexual orientation or the country in which we were born. Uh, and unless Democrats get their act together, in my view, uh, and very quickly make the case to the working class of this country, that if you're going to vote for Republicans, what you're going to do is end the effort we have made to eliminate those or to cut back on childhood poverty, to create the millions of good-paying jobs that are desperately needed. We've got to make that case a lot stronger, I think, than we have. But, uh, you know, that's where we are. Two of the things that uh, polled really well coming out of the 2020 election um, and, that, and that Donald Trump exploited um, uh, were the decriminalization of marijuana and, and, and I think far more importantly, uh, so-called free trade, you know, moving our jobs overseas. This is something that you and I have been talking about since, you know, for, for uh, you know, two decades on this program. Uh, and, and you and Sherrod Brown have been real champions in trying to bring our jobs back home. And, 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 uh, and now I'm seeing, you know, kind of Republicans get ahead of this. We've got a Republican in the House who has introduced a bill to decriminalize pot at the federal level. That's very popular. We've got Republican, you know, it was Donald Trump who, who came out in 2016 and, and said the unmentionable for the last 40 years that, that you know, our free trade policies were a disaster. Um, where, where are the Democrats on these issues? Well, look, Tom, it is no great secret. I mean, my view is that the Democrats have not been, and you've heard me say this for a long time, as strong as they should be, to say the least, in standing up for the working class of this country. No question about that. Republicans are worse. Uh, and they are hypocrites. You know, they talk about being the party of the working class. And in fact, you know, time after time after time, uh, all of their efforts go to protect the wealthy and the powerful. 
but in terms of the legalization of marijuana, I think uh, most of us understand that the so-called uh, war on drugs uh, was a failed war. It was a disastrous war. And many, many millions of people suffered as a result of that. Uh, and it is my view, and has been my view for a number of years, that we should move to the complete legalization of marijuana and that we should expunge the records of those people who were arrested for possession. Uh, in terms of trade, you know, what you got is, and what we're seeing right now, Tom, one of the things, before I get into trade, that has to be pointed out, is that in terms of Build Back Better, what the media, the corporate media is not covering, is the unprecedented degree to which the corporate elite and by that I mean the drug companies who are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on lobbyists uh, to make sure we continue paying the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs, uh, the private insurance companies who are working overtime to make sure we don't expand Medicare to cover uh, dental, hearing, and vision. Uh, the fossil fuel industry, obviously, is much more interested in their profits and the future of the planet, spending a whole lot of money to stop us being as strong as we should be. And, of course, the very rich who don't want to pay their fair share of taxes for spending money. So what you have, and, and, you know, this is, I know you know this, your listeners know this, but corporate media doesn't talk about it very much, is you have a, a, um, a, a Congress which is significantly dominated by campaign contributors from the wealthy uh, and by, you know, the PACs that fund these uh, contributions and by the lobbying efforts of the wealthy and the powerful. And really what Build Back Better is about is, is trying to determine whether or not we are going to have a government that stands up for the middle class and the working class of this country, for the children, for the elderly, for our climate, or whether or not we're going to be dominated again uh, by the greed of the big money. And I believe there's Buy America provisions in there, aren't there? Yes, there are. There are. And I think getting back to this issue of so-called free trade, uh, it is just amazing to me, you know, that when the corporate elite decided years ago, decades ago, they said, well, why do we want to pay workers in America a good wage when we can hire people in China and other desperate countries for pennies an hour? That's what they wanted, and that's what they got, and that's obviously what we've got to reverse. Yeah, there you go. Senator Bernie Sanders, chair of the Senate Budget Committee, sanders.senate.gov. Senator Sanders, thanks so much for dropping by. It's always great talking with you. Good to be with you, Tom. Keep up the great work. Thank, Thank you. you. And you, too. Thank you so much. <laughs> Uh, Jeff in Portland. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Hey, happy Thanksgiving Eve, Tom. And uh, I'm thankful to you and your team for all the truth and knowledge you bring us every day. So thank Thanks you back so much you, for that. Thank you. I want to begin by pointing out that Canada, they held a national election last month. All three major candidates were in favor of an assault weapons ban, including the conservative. So, you know, in 2020, when Beto O'Rourke talked about banning and buying back assault weapons, that's already a mainstream idea, if not in actuality, in every other Western democracy. It's true. Um, yeah. And in my opinion, Tom, we need more passion like Beto's coming from Democratic leadership. You know who Jonathan Alter is. He he, you've had him on the show. He, he was on, he's written, he wrote a book about FDR. He was on Lawrence O'Donnell. Mm -hmm. He's talking about how FDR not only went after rich people, but he also went after re Republican members of Congress. And Alter also brought up how Harry Truman rescued his presidency by calling out the do-nothing 1940s Republican Congress. Right. So, you know, it's high time President Biden steps up his rhetoric against these present-day do-nothing Republicans, as well as their anti-democracy measures, calling th that out. And, you know, in doing so, I think he'll make a clear case for getting rid of the filibuster. You know, your friend and colleague Joe Madison is putting his health on the line with the hunger strike, highlighting how, you know, if we don't get these voting bills passed, we're going to face unimaginable uphill battles in 2022 and 2024. Um, I mean, I, I have some ideas how to get out the vote. Uh, I'll save it for another day. But, you know, without these bills, it really it will be a struggle. So, you know. But as you say, and Bernie says, not only is despair is not an option, I would add, we have no choice but to strengthen our resolve and redouble our efforts. So yep. 
your thoughts, Tom, and, and I wish you a great holiday. Well, thank you, and, and happy Thanksgiving to you too, Jeff, and I just endorse everything you just said. <laughs> thank you, very well done. Richard in San Francisco. Hey, Richard, we just have a, a little less than a minute. You got a quick one? Yeah, yeah, just kind of a silly question, but this morning there was a picture online of Kyle Rittenhouse meeting with Trump in the, I guess, the fake Oval Office of Mar-a-Lago, wherever right. it is, in Florida. And they were both standing, and I noticed that, you know, Trump did his his, his thumbs up, his standard pose, where he stands with his thumbs up at waist level, and then Rittenhouse was mirroring that mm. at waist level. And I just wondered, is it is that one of these, like, kind of secret handshake deals that the... I think, that's just, I think that's just Trump's thing, you know. I, I, I don't know, Richard. You know, I, I haven't seen the picture, so... I frankly can't speak to it. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, that includes you, to actually participate, be a part of it. Get inside your local Democratic Party or Republican Party if you're a Republican of goodwill. You know, let's, both these parties, let's take them back and, and turn America in a positive direction. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.